Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 52, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. It's the MLR Kickoff, the official Major League Rugby podcast. Dan Power with you, Pete Steinberg, joining me as always. And Pete, it's going to be a big show tonight. We go down to uh, Atlanta in Georgia to talk about Rugby ATL, as you both corrected me last week. The correct name for Rugby ATL is, of course, Rugby ATL. Pete, how did the week treat you? And uh, good to be back, just uh, seven days removed from our last podcast. Yeah, um, it, it was great. Uh, we got to watch some uh, well-done Major League Rugby broadcast, thanks to the Houston Sabercats for uh, um, showing their game against the Tasman Macro. So that was that was great. The, the week is good. I'm... Um, you know, I'm working my way into, in, you know, I'm in my preseason, Dan. I'm in my preseason. So I, you know, watched uh, um, the uh, Houston game. I watched it a little bit more when I was exercising today. I've started to pull together some some of my templates for um, broadcasting. I'm, you know, I'm not sure that people out there, when, when you're doing a broadcast, I mean, you end up doing, I probably do more film study than the average player in Major League Rugby, I would guess. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing some new things like you and I both talked about how we're constantly improving. Um, and so, you know, looking at maybe some different ways to do scouting reports that can help me and stuff like that. So I am in preseason mode. What about you, Dan? Yeah, got a lift in. I'm in preseason mode too. Uh, <laughs> trying to run down Brian Hightower for the biggest biceps in the, uh, MLR broadcast is team. It, is it biggest biceps or is it tightest shirt or is it a bit of both? I think it's I think it's a combination of both. You gotta you gotta work on those pecs too. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. I'll Thanks. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Maybe some push. I'll throw some push ups into the mix as well. But uh, yes, it was uh, great to uh, to finally watch some. Um, Major League Rugby. So thanks to uh, the Houston Sabercats and New Zealand as well. We're partners in that, getting that over the line in the uh, the Tasman Mako. So, and, and last time I looked down, they had, um, I think it was 67,000 views. And climbing. And climbing. And climbing. So, so it's it's a it's an interesting, you know, platform. We, you know, when I was watching it live, there were one, um, uh, I think it was uh, 1,200 watching it live. But obviously a lot of people tuning in um, after the fact and, you know, <clears throat> not sure how Facebook does that, but, um, you know, th- there's some good, uh, good exposure there for New Zealand. Yeah, it is. And uh, just a shameless plug, whenever I fly back to Australia, I do fly Air New Zealand. So anyone listening from Air New Zealand and want to uh, sponsor the podcast and mine and Pete's adventures down to the Southern Hemisphere, we'd be happy to have you on board. Uh, A little stopover in Auckland on the way down there. I go up to the lounge, have a nice shower and a nice meal while my wife sits downstairs uh, drinking a $5 cup of coffee. So, you know, husband (laughs) of the year, probably not me, but, you know, in New Zealand, maybe you can help us out there too. But let's just jump into the show because we've uh, digressed enough. It is Rugby Atlanta, Rugby ATL's night, and we will talk about all things Atlanta. And Pete, they kind of flew under the radar a little bit, didn't they, in the, in the build-up to their launch for 2020? Not a lot of news, and then it sort of started to trickle in and then pour in, and we saw them last week take on NOLA down there at uh, Life University. And boy, oh boy, did they uh, make their intentions loud and clear. They are definitely going to be a side we're going to have to keep a close eye on this year. Well, I mean, I think it's just a really interesting um, construction of a squad, right? So, so you know, they've got 
such a great connection with Life University, which has been, you know, one of the pinnacles of high performance um, men's and now women's rugby in the US. And with Scott Lawrence moving from the life coach to, um, to rugby ATL, they've brought on a number of life uh, players and previous life players, which I think has given them such a strong base. But life also has a very strong brand in South Africa. So you've seen a lot of players that have, um, uh, that have uh, Southern, you know, that have South African Curry Cup or um, Super 12 or Pro 14. I mean, I think one of the really interesting selections for them is Kurt Coleman, um, who's one of the many South Africans that are from um, Stellenbosch. You know, he's a fly half. He's one of those guys that you need to have in place. Um, has played for um, Western Province and the Stormers and most recently in the Pro 14 with the Southern Kings. So he's 30 and he's going to bring that experience. But it's combining those sorts of guys, um, you know, along with, um, you know, some of these younger life players that I think is going to make them dangerous. And you were right. It was very interesting, you know, some more um, well-developed, more produced Major League Rugby we saw not this past weekend, the weekend before was Nola Gold against um, Atlanta and Atlanta had the upper edge. They looked very well organized. They um, really hurt Nola's defense out wide. Um, both teams struggled a little bit in the contact, which isn't to be surprised in preseason. But, you know, um, I think they're, they're, they're looking like um, a strong uh, squad in that Eastern Conference. Yeah, as expected, you mentioned the Life University influence there. The one that really surprised me was former rivals, Arkansas State, actually have quite a big presence with three really good young players coming out. Harry Higgins, who will play back row. He's a capped eagle. Uh, you also have Zach Young in the centres, who played for the Selects. And then, obviously, the big one's going to be Zach Mizell as well. We saw him uh, run around quite a bit in the college scene with the All-Americans uh, and I believe some USA Eagles sevens action as well. So uh, Scott Lawrence, not only recruiting internally, but also looking into uh, the squads of some old foes from when he was at Life University and taking some of the talent from that Southeast region down there. So yeah, it's, uh, it is a squad that is built to last. I, I like the depth. I like the consistency that they're going to have in the pipelines they've used with Stellenbosch University, Life University as well. There's going to be some familiarity there with their styles. And I think Scott Lawrence, you've, you've wrapped Scott quite a bit and you get a chance to talk to him later in the show. But in terms of domestic coaches and you know all coaches in Major League Rugby, he's got to be up there with one of the most exciting prospects uh, as a head coach to play under for young players right now. Well, I mean, I, I think Scott's the best coach in the U.S. Um, I, I'm not even sure that it's close. Uh, he was my captain when I was coaching the USA Hawks. What is that? Like almost 15 years ago, right at the Ouch. end of its playing days. Um, he was already part, partly, uh, um, you know, um, player. Uh, he was a player coach back then. Uh, you know, he's the guy that has taken uh, the U.S. Um, junior All-Americans to the uh, um, U20 World Cup, the only coach to do that. I just think, I mean, he's, he's solid. The, the, the challenge that rugby has always had for Scott is this, he's just super competent. And, you know, he was super competent in business and it was always a bit of an opportunity cost. I know that, you know, I know that he was in, you know, he was, uh, um, Penn State was interested in him. I know Army was interested in him. There were lots of places that were interested in him. But, you know, um, college rugby doesn't have the dollars. 
and uh, he is he 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 is just. I mean, I honestly think he will be the you know an eagle coach um, when he's you know I think hopefully through Major League Rugby, and I think he's going to do a great job here. The the interesting thing for me is is the mix that they have. I mean, you you can look at their squad, and they've been pretty deliberate about you know <clears throat> having young, exciting collegiate All Americans, you know USA Select players, but in almost every subunit they have an overseas pro. So, you know, it's a very interesting when you look at their squad that you see, you know, so you can see like in the back three. I mean, one of the people that we haven't talked about yet is Harley Davidson, who's kind of going home, right? He's from um, Florida and he played for life. Obviously a big star with the Colorado Raptors. Now he's gone back. You've got, um, uh, you know, a back, you've got um, four, you know, USA um, qualified wings and fullbacks. And then you've got um, Rory Van Boot, who is with the Southland Stags. And interestingly, is going to be um, one of these guys that plays Major League Rugby in the spring and then goes back and plays Mitre 10 in the fall. But you've got that one foreign pro to kind of lift it up. And I think that's going to be really exciting for those younger players to play around these guys that have played um, elite rugby um, around the world. And, and one other guy that I think is going to be I think he's a glue player. This is a guy that doesn't run the ball hard. Um, or, so he runs it hard, but it's not the most dynamic play. He's not the most dynamic tackler, but his work rate is off the charts and his work. And I think it's a big loss for Rooney as Ross Deacon. That guy yeah. is just a, a phenomenal player. He allows players to play around him. And having someone like Ross Deacon in what's a pretty young back row, um, you know, they've got Matt, Matt Heaton, who's a um, Canadian international that's, that's obviously good. But again, a lot of sort of young players that are, um, you know, coming through. Uh, Ross Deacon, I think, is going to be a loss for New York and a gain for Atlanta. Um, that might be one of those switches, Dan, that actually has an impact in the standings at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree. I, and you and I talked about that a few shows ago about Ross Deacon. Think about this for a one-two punch as well at the back of that scrum. Ross Deacon and then Billy Heller as well from St. Mary's. He's a youngster. He's uh, 6'4", 235, and uh, not a shred of fat on him as well. So that is <laughs> yeah. going to be uh, some package for Scott Lawrence to be running off the back. And Scott played eight himself too. So you know, he's going to have uh, a lot to do with that position. But you know, as I go through the roster, I only see two players, and I scrolled through quite quickly, that were born in the 80s. So... Um, we're getting older, and that is a young squad. As everyone's well. everyone's getting older. So, so if you look, you know, I think for these teams, I think that um, for the expansion teams, I think you know we talked a little bit about the free jacks and how challenging it is at the start for them and the start of their season. They've got four games away. They've got you know two ten day tours, and you know we talked with Josh Smith last week about how challenging that is. Atlanta being in the south obviously it's going to be um, a little bit, you know, easier for them. But I actually quite like their schedule. You know, they, uh, they, they get Utah at home, which is a team in transition. You know, and we'll talk about um, their performance earlier this year. I don't think Utah's, you know, Utah is another um, year away, I think, from really being able to compete in the West. Um, then they've got to go know that that's a tough one. And then, you know, Big early games, right? A Rooney at home and the Arrows at home, right? And so by then, 
if you're Rugby Atlanta, you want to be competitive with those guys, the teams that have played together, the teams that have, have a, you know, a year under their belt, because those, those are sort of big games when you're looking at playoff competition. Um, and then, you know, and then they have um, Old Glory. So they go, to, they go to Old Glory, the Free Dracks come and join them. And then um, they go to Austin. So it's not, it's not a terrible opening schedule, I think, for Atlanta, for a bunch of guys that have played together, you know, at life, um, with a coach who knows how to put teams together on the field. I think they could go into April, and I think they could be up there um, on, on that Eastern Conference table. One thing that stands out to me is three of their first six uh, CBS game of the week as well. So there is definitely an interest from the networks and from the league to see this Atlanta side in the spotlight. And they're going to have a chance to come out early and, and prove themselves as well. So the whole nation will be watching those three games. And we also start to see some of these rivalries, Pete, that as the league expands, now you have that traditional rivalry of Atlanta and New Orleans. We, we see it you know, in the football world with the Falcons and the Saints. Now we have ATL and Gold also will developing their rivalry. And those are the things that really excite me as, uh, as we get into this year as well. We're going to see these new rivalries and hopefully uh, the players take that on board and, and the coaching staff and the ownership take that on board and really drill that into their, their staff that, you know what, let's, it's good for the sport to have these rivalries and get the fans passionate about playing against NOLA twice a year. I, I mean, that's it. And that's, and that's, you know, if I'm, but if I'm Atlanta, I think that's right. And I think NOLA is, is I think that NOLA, you know, you target that early NOLA game, you target that Rooney game, and you target that Toronto game. And you say, after those three games, right, which, which they have um, back-to-back, you know, you can sit there and, you know, most coaches think about their seasons and cycles. And so they, you know, they'll be looking at March 1 after that Toronto game and Scott Lawrence will have a good idea about where his team stands in the East. And, well, let's. Um, what well, I was going to say, who better to talk to than the man himself? Let's uh, let's throw to Scott right now, who is going to sit down with you and, and go over all things rugby ATL, and no one to do it better than the man of the hour himself, Scott Lawrence. Well, Scott, thank you for joining us on Major League Rugby Kickoff. Happy to be here. So let's let's start with you are the general manager and the head coach of Rugby ATL. Can you talk about what your responsibilities are and how that fits into the organization as a whole? My responsibilities are mostly on the performance side. Uh, with a, I have a slight hand in the, in the business side in terms of defining our model and, and some things which I have a background in before coming into coaching. Uh, but primarily it's about uh, looking after uh, the signing of players, the welfare of players, uh, the type of game that we're going to play, uh, the type of presence we'll have in the rugby community, and uh, setting standards uh, for performance down through our academy structure all the way up to our senior team. Well, obviously a very large role. Pretty much everything that happens on the field, it sounds like, is sort of the responsibility and, and the things that link to performance on the field. Um, but let's talk about your background as a coach. So you are um, one of two American born and bred coaches that will be competing um, this year in Major League Rugby. Talk, talk through a little bit about your coaching background and your coaching history and what brought you here. 
I think I, I kind of fell into coaching, to be honest. I was, uh, I was playing and life was going pretty good at, uh, here in Atlanta. And, um, the, uh, the, the program at Life University fell on some hard times and we looked around and said, boy, we need a coach and all right, well, I'll pick it up and I'll do it. So, uh, that was uh, a long time ago. That was, you know, it was a great start. It was fun. I have really fond memories of 14 guys crawling through a hole in the fence to go train on a ball diamond before somebody, <laughs> you know, figured out we were there. And, uh, and then, you know, kind of, we just went, we, we grew from there. I think I got, uh, lucky from my playing experience that I got to know uh, some of the folks at USA Rugby a little bit more, which gave me some jobs in age grade with high school Americans and U20s, uh, which gave me an exposure to international uh, uh, play and competition. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I moved back between the U20s and Life University for a long time and then uh, really uh, kind of through that association ran into Dan Payne and uh, at the time, uh, I, Dan had a skill set I didn't have. And so I asked Dan to, uh, to take over the program, to grow an undergraduate program. And I went back into the corporate world and assisted Dan for a number of years uh, there. And uh, he just, uh, well, Dan just goes from strength to strength to strength. So, um, so that was a, certainly a, a great partnership. You know, I kind of, uh, we, we grew a lot together during that time and, uh, I learned a lot from him and, and hopefully he did a little bit as well as, as we went through that. Uh, so spent a long time there and then, you know, in, in the last couple of years have gotten the opportunity. And I, I think it, it's through Dan that I was able to, um, serve some assistant roles with the national team. And then uh, coach the USA selects, which is really rewarding to see the next crop of Eagles uh, come through. And uh, did that up through last year. And then uh, uh, just about a year ago, I stopped uh, everything except for the USA selects and took on the role at Rugby ATL full time. So, so talk a little bit about sort of your evolution as a coach and, and maybe some of the influences that you've had that, that, might inform us on, on how you're going to coach the rugby ATL team in their first year in major league rugby. I think, uh, so, you know, I think I, I learned a little bit, of, you know, working with Dan, I learned a lot about uh, kind of the, the model of American sport, Dan being a wrestler and, and being an eventual athletic director. Uh, so I really learned uh, the value of the human side of the sport. You know, I was, pure performance, non-negotiable when I started uh, coaching and quickly realized that uh, I had to take care of the human element, which she does really well. And uh, so that was a big part of uh, my influence in the way that I started to interact with players, uh, the change I needed to see within myself uh, if I wanted to get uh, the outcome uh, that was best for the teams that I was coaching. Uh, and so that, that was pretty uh, during my formative years. And then you know, I, I met some really great people along the way who, um, who have just helped me. Um, John O'Phillips uh, was, you know, I met through a tour and John O remains my mentor and technical advisor today. I speak to him on a weekly basis and we talk about different topics on and off the field and he brings a wealth of knowledge and experience and focus on, on people as well. And, you know, and then just kind of the network just grew from there. Uh, guys that uh, like uh, Ben Herring, 
uh, has been uh, a great influence on me. We spend a lot of time together uh, working on various things. And, and so I, uh, I, I get a lot off of those guys. And I think as I thought I was ready to coach in the international game, uh, I went to work, uh, I fell into a job with John Mitchell and, uh, you know, quickly realized I wasn't ready yet. And, uh, and I learned a lot from John about, uh, just Mitch and from professionalism. I learned a lot about, uh, tactical periodization and how to play the game and tie that into the physical component, uh, so you can get the best out of your players. And then, uh, and then the last couple of years with Gary have just uh, been fantastic. You can't uh, meet a better human being. Uh, and I think uh, Gary and I share a love of data and analytics. Uh, we both have a background in it. Uh, so we, we hit it off pretty well. And uh, we like to uh, use, uh, use every method we can in terms of collecting data and finding trends and things that we can uh, we use within, within our teams. Great. Obviously, a lot of um, world-class coaches that you've got to work with that have had um, a big influence. And, and you talked a lot about sort of the network you've, you've built and this international network. Um, did that come into play when you started building your squad? I mean, you've got a, obviously a very strong influence from life, guys that you've known and coached. Um, you've got a number of other actually college players from Arkansas State and other places like that. But you've also, it it, it looks like being pretty strategic in sort of, in each subunit, making sure you've got some elite professional experience um, from somewhere else that's coming. So talk a little bit about how you formed the squad and and, and maybe like what was the network and and how useful that network that you've developed as a coach over the years. I looked at uh, some teams that are world-class and uh, got to know the people within those organizations. Like I uh, looked at the Crusaders, I looked at the Saracens, uh, and we built a team profile that was, uh, there's plenty of good rugby players out there. We can find them and the MLR is drawing interest. We can get players from anywhere and everywhere that we want. I th- and I think we've seen teams do that. Uh, we looked for specific uh, profile types, number of years as a professional, number of teams they played for, uh, their hobbies, uh, things like that. So we really looked for a mix of senior players that are mentoring younger players. And in particular, we want to mentor young American players uh, through the system. That's great. And, and it's so, so sort of benchmarking, right? So, you know, using some of your corporate stuff, you went out and said, who, who does this in the best of the world? How do they do it? And, and what, yeah. what can we learn from that? And then the idea of profiling is, is looking yeah. for the players that have fit exactly what you think you need to complement yeah. what you have. So let's, let's talk about some of those American players. Obviously, you know, a bunch of these guys from life, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, also from your time with the USA Selects and with the U20s, I mean, there's still those guys kind of around. In your squad, who, who, are, who are a couple of players that you think are really going to stand out this year that maybe the general public that follow Major League Rugby don't know yet? I think uh, Duncan Van Skalkwick's going to have a great season. Uh, Duncan played 10 in university. He's really a nine at the next level. Uh, I think he continues to impress with his level of rugby IQ, uh, his thinking, his leadership. And I think he's going to be one to watch for the future uh, and number nine. 
uh, this year. Uh, there's uh, Jeremy Missy. I'll pronounce his last name. We call him the Missile. So I'll just call right. him Jeremy the Missile. Yeah, that's the yeah. I'm a co- I yeah. do the same thing. Right. Yeah, he's. Uh, He's, uh, you know, he's kind of, he was at Seattle and then he bounced around to Utah. And uh, those are the kind of guys we love. Guys that just want a chance. And and Jeremy came to us and he stayed through our academy season. And uh, he has just absolutely grown as a person and as a player with us for the last six months. Uh, we've been able, I think, harness one of the best raw athletes that uh, we've seen in a very long time. Uh, and uh, he's, He's, I think he's going to do really well this season. Well, that's exciting. He's definitely um, a good athlete, and you're right. We've seen it in pieces in his um, tenure with Seattle and, and Utah, and every time you see him, you're like, oh, that guy looks like someone that could really be um, very, very good, but has never quite fit in. So it would be great to be able to, you know, and it's the, sort of the great coaching challenge, right, is to unlock a potential of, of an athlete yeah. that maybe hasn't fully expressed themselves yet. And, and that's, and that's great. So let's talk about sort of, you know, you've, you've had a couple of preseason games, you know, we saw, mm-hmm. uh, it was a, you know, and um, you know, seem to have stepped up really well early on. What, what, you know, what sort of, you know, what's the approach to the game? What, what would we see or what, what should we expect to see with the rugby ATL team when you're on the field? What do you want to see when you hit the ground running in week one? I think we're looking for, in a young team, we're looking for consistency in the details. Uh, And, uh, and you know, if you're watching as a fan, uh, we want to do the things that you would expect us to do. Uh, That means, you know, we want the passes to go to hand. We want the tackles to be made. You want to see a team that's actually doing the basics of the game correctly and using that to create some uh, chaos in the game. I think we've seen in the first two games that when things get a little bit loose, uh, these young fellows can uh, can move the ball around and score some tries. Right, and, and, and you know, in in um, with my with Dan Powell, we've actually had a conversation already that we think transitions are going to be really really critical in Major League Rugby in 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 year three. Yeah, and and it was obviously a challenge for the U.S. Right, they like in terms of transitions, whether it's turnovers or kick or something like that. Like, um, yeah. It, you know, are you looking to maximize those transitions? Are you looking to keep the ball in hand when someone kicks to you, create those turnovers because you feel like you've got the skills that can exploit those opportunities? I think uh, I think the opportunities are in all kinds of transitions throughout the game. Uh, so, you know, we think of turnovers, we think of kick and kick back or those types of transitions. And we certainly spend a good amount of time on that. Uh, because it creates unstructured play for us. But I, I think there's little transitions that you look at as well that are really important. What's your return to play and reload speed? Can you, can you get back in shape and before the defense? And can you execute that at, uh, you know, that move at top speed, you know, looking at the green light from when the ball comes out? And those are the types of transitions, those little bits, of, those little micro transitions are the things that we're really after. And and you measure that stuff like you talked about how you're a data data guy. Obviously, one of the last couple of years, like the ability to get back on your feet and 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 sort of reloading is important. But are you able to measure shape? You guys measure like how quickly you get back into your defensive shape or your attacking shape and those sorts of things. 
we don't measure it, but we certainly use it as a constraint in the training environment uh, in, in a way to challenge them and put pressure on the players. So the, the, the need for them to kind of create whatever the structure that you want them to do as quickly as they can before they go ahead and execute the play or the skill, that's the constraint that often you put them in, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, Scott, you know, you and I could probably, um, I'm about to delve into a coaching discussion that might be really interesting <laughs> for some of the coaches that are on there, but maybe not so much. Let's yeah. talk about the beginning of the season because the beginning of the season for you is, is a pretty interesting test through the first four weeks, right? So you, you start with Utah, but then you've got, yeah. you know, three of the teams that you think would be in the running to make the playoffs out of the East in, in NOLA and Rooney in Toronto. So talk a little bit yeah. about how, how you're thinking about that first month and, and where you want to be after that fourth game when you actually get into sort of playing some of the other expansion teams. I think uh, there's, there's a couple of outcomes from the first month that we want to get to. And the first thing is, is it's a 16 game season and we have to find what the right combinations and rotations are within our squad. Uh, so that we can last uh, the season and be able to compete all the way through game 16 with the guys that we've contracted to date and not need to go to market too too much uh, during the season. So that's going to be a big thing is, is establishing longevity and rotation within the squad and finding the right combinations that work uh, through those first four games. I think we'll also look you know, your first year as a franchise, you're still figuring out what your week looks like. Uh, you're working hard at the way information is passed. And really, so it's going to be a lot about the process of are we learning? Uh, are we uh, adapting? Are we learning about our opponents? And are we creating uh, a little bit of uncertainty in, in the opposition? Uh, so are we doing our, doing our research and how does that work uh, through the first four weeks? So I don't know where that'll land us, uh, you know, in terms of wins and losses. I'm certainly not going to try and predict that, but uh, I think we're we're using the first quarter of the season to to really make a run in the last three quarters. You know, it's 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 interesting because um, even with your scouting and your knowledge of players, it's been obvious in the first couple of years um, of Major League Rugby that there are players that were scouted really well that didn't do so well within the competition. There were maybe players that they you weren't quite like it, it's actually quite a big step. So, you know, when you think about those rotations, do you have a good idea after your first two preseasons what it is? And you and it's kind of more testing, or, or is it actually yeah. gonna be the learning that's gonna happen as you go through? It's both. I mean, I think you you know, there it takes a little while. We were just having this discussion in our debrief after training today. The team is like an onion. We just keep feeling right. this thing back. And, you know, we just keep finding out more and more about them as we go. But I think one of the advantages that we had this year was that we did our domestic 404 Academy throughout the fall. And they played, you know, great clubs, New York Athletic Club, Old Blue, Mystic River, Life University. And those were, there were MLR professionals playing in those teams and they're off season. So we actually got a chance to bring in some players that we ended up contracting. We saw how they competed and how they, and how they worked together. And uh, we were able to bring them into the squad. So that was certainly a jump start as well as knowledge of, of the players that were Atlanta based already. So I think we've, 
we've worked through three different combinations of of players here in the first uh, kind of three games and scrimmages uh, that we've had. And uh, we've got uh, about two more to figure out uh, as we go to D.C. this weekend and then uh, uh, as we work into Utah the week at, uh, two weeks after that. Well, Scott, um, I appreciate you giving us the time. Um, uh, it's, it's exciting. I think uh, the um, performance of Rugby ATL so far in the preseason is certainly exciting. Um, I think you've got a very interesting squad. I actually think you've got a squad that's quite deep in athleticism. If it's also, if it's young, you've actually got some yeah. good athletes. And I think that commitment to developing the uh, um, American rugby players is going to be important for the future of the game. So um, we appreciate yeah. it. And we look forward to seeing uh, um, rugby ATL make its uh, um, debut in a couple of weeks uh, in its first ever major league rugby game. Awesome. Always good to see you, Pete. There we go, Scott Lawrence, Rugby ATL. And Pete, for me personally, I got to spend some time with Scott when he was working with John Mitchell and the USA staff and super impressed with him then. And I'm sure he took a lot out of that time with John Mitchell and he's going to take well, little bits and pieces from everyone, maybe even his old uh, USA Hawks coach and pump it into <laughs> Rugby ATL this year. I don't, I don't, I don't remember what I did. Um, I'm sure he's not exactly sure what I did. Um, I, I, in, in my experience, it was sort of my, uh, um, a little bit of some context. Um, I think the first game uh, we played as the USA Hawks, it was the first year of the NA4. It was a bit of a scramble getting the team together at the last minute. And I think we lost 93 nothing to the um, Canada West. Pretty certain the referee called it early, so it didn't become 100 points. Um, and uh, but then we did manage to turn it around. We turned it around. It was it was a bit of an eye opener for um, all of us. Canada West killed everyone, but maybe not as bad as us. It was the Super Rugby final, so there was a bunch of our players that were still playing that weekend or, or weren't available to play. It was it was it was pretty rough. But we turned around, won our next game against the USA Hawks. So Scott was uh, Scott was part of that huge learning for all of us. And I'm you know you're absolutely right. Scott's a great learner. Takes on everything. And as you can, you know, as you heard, is a like a, just a super sharp guy. Yeah, it's not how he starts, how he finishes, isn't it, Pete? <laughs> that's uh, that's what I tell myself. All that's, right, uh, that's that. I, I have to say, back then I was in my mid thirties, and I thought after that game, I'm like, maybe I should put my boots on. I think <laughs> I think I might be able to do some things. But uh, it was a, it was all a great experience. Scott was uh, Scott was part of that. And um, so excited to see, uh, you know, it's always good to see one of the guys that you've, um, you know, you've had a chance to coach do so well. We're going to have to jump into your tree one of these days, the coaching tree, and just see where your fingerprints are on Major League <laughs> Rugby. Pull back the curtain a little bit on the life of Pete Steinberg. What do you say? Not tonight, but we'll, we'll do it. Oh, uh, no, I, I think that would be a very boring podcast. Much more about the current players and the current coaches than us old has-beens, right, Dan? Yeah, that's right. Well, let's talk about the current players and talk about some preseason action that went on over the weekend. And we'll run through these scores really quickly for you guys, and then we'll come back and touch on some of the more important things that happened over the weekend. Obviously, the big one was the Tasman Makos traveling over here, and they took care of the Sabercats, 29-19. Seattle got a win as the champs got things going up there 55 to nothing over the crimson tide toronto 35-5 over utah and colorado 32-26 over rugby atl 
And uh, that was in Las Vegas. The Free Jacks, 39-7 over the Independence, which was a select side from the Northeast. The Legion took care of Onback and Life West in 40-minute games. And then Old Glory took on the Naval Academy, 90-21. to That was a big one up there as uh, Old Glory. Still without the beast, but uh, looking dangerous too in the East. Yeah, I mean, lots of interesting games here. I was... Um, actually quite surprised that Seattle had their way with the Crimson Tide. Um, the Crimson Tide, I think, was a, um, a pretty good select side from up there. Um, you know, Toronto putting Utah away just tells us that, um, you know, Chris Latham has a lot of work to do in Utah, that, that it's going to be a process. But that, again, Atlanta step up and have this competitive game um, against Colorado. I think Atlanta are going are gonna to hit, hit, hit the ground running. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty long trip out there, Atlanta to Vegas as well. Uh, the, again, the Legion, just quietly, they're taking on those club sides out there, but uh, pretty effective. Yeah, Marnonu got his first run out as well. I don't know if you got to see that, a little uh, Marnonu action in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, I think the, like, the Legion are doing things, I think, a little differently. I mean, I, I think the Legion is focused on um, the long game. I think they feel like they're going to be good enough to be in the playoffs and it's all about depth. You know, there's one less pre there's one less bye week. Um, you know, some of their you know, some of their guys like Joe Peterson is getting on. They're gonna they're using these these games to get to get depth. And I think I think that's uh, that's that's good. And the interesting thing about, you know, before we get on to the game that we can talk more about because it was broadcast, you know, I was following the old Glory Navy game and it was actually a lot closer, you know, as they went into half time. And I think that it's you'll see a lot in these sort of games. I think the uh, um, Free Jacks Independence game, the same way, it's actually once you get into that second half where both depth on the bench and also fitness really begins to show and it becomes much, much more difficult to compete. So Navy actually hosted pretty well there at the start, but that just didn't have the, the, uh, um, the depth to kind of, kind of stay with them. What was your view of the uh, Tasman-Houston game, Dan? Well, I think... If you look at the side that uh, the Mako sent over, super young side, um, but there were some quality players in there. And it's a, a side that's, for the most part, they've probably been playing rugby since they were five or six. And you saw that. There was just the little nuances. Uh, some people have been pretty critical of the Sabercats, but um, you know, I, I think they were just putting their systems in place. Coach Healy was getting a look. You know, we didn't see them take any shots at penalty. They were always going to the corner, set piece. They're in preseason mode as well. So I thought it was a pretty good showing. I think it'll be interesting to see how they do in Seattle up there. Um, expecting a huge crowd in uh, at Starfire this weekend for that game. So overall, I'd be happy with both sides. It's a good experience and, and hopefully opens up a good relationship between the Mitre 10 and hopefully some players who weren't on the tour got a look at some MLR and said, you know, that'd be a fun experience and we might see some more quality players come from New Zealand over. And then for Houston, great hit out against a really high quality opposition. So it was win-win for me. And and obviously everyone getting to see it and those numbers, I think Aaron just sent through that it's got up to 71,000 at the moment. So 71,000 views on the Facebook stream that got to watch some major league rugby uh, action. So it's a, all wins for me. So, you know, interesting, I think that, um, you know, I, I watched this game. I actually watched it 
I watched some of it a second time because I wanted to get a better understanding about Houston. Um, but I think what you saw with the Tasman side, and you're right, you saw players that were just really instinctive. And, and you get that when you all start playing with, with um, you know, uh, four and five. Um, I think, you know, a lot of those players will be on the rise. So you'll see some, you know, we'll, there'll be guys that play in that, in that um, team that go on and play super rugby. There might even be guys that go on and play the All Blacks. They're young, but they're not, not talented. Um, and so I was, you know, I was impressed. Houston did some really interesting things, I thought. I'm really interested to see how their attack develops. You know, both you and I are huge fans of Sam Windsor. And it, it's, it looks like, you know, so, so just let me get a little, a, a little um, uh, coachy with you, if that's all right, Dan. You know, high-level teams play different ways in different parts of the field. And they do that because defense, um, defenses defend in different ways, right? So when you look to how Houston played in the middle of the field, sort of in between the 22s, they had Sam um, Windsor very deep, and you could see what they were trying to do. They were trying to get the ball wide out, of, out um, uh, on the edge or outside the edge of the uh, Tasman defense. When they got into the 22, attacking 22, and they were close to the line, because the wings don't have to cover the kicks, they come up, there's less space wide, and you, and you saw Sam Windsor stand flatter, and you really saw Sam do what I think he does really well. He's a tremendous decision maker, right? Like you stand, like he, was, he would stand flat, he has a great step, he can read space, he can hit guys on, on the move. I think by playing him so deep in the middle of the field, I think it's going to make them a little bit easier to defend. It gives up the game line. It's one of the reasons why they struggled to really get some momentum going. And I think it takes probably your best playmaker. And I think in the back line um, of Houston, they don't have enough guys that can put other people into holes. And it's taking your best playmaker and turning him into a pivot. And that's what I saw. And, I, and you could just, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Sam would do so much better if he played flatter and passed deep than him standing deep and passing flat. So that was sort of a little bit of sort of coach analysis. If I'm playing against them, it's pretty easy, right? So when you've got a, a pivot standing so deep, it allows your inside defense to stretch because they can always squeeze when that player runs. And that means they can actually deny the space that's out wide. And so that's, that's the thing that I, that I saw on the Houston attack that I, you know, that I thought, you know, that, that, that I'm going to be interested to see how it's developed. First time I saw them, like completely understand players play the way they play, you know, it'd be interesting to see where they are in a couple of weeks. And then on defense, the concern I had about Houston was how Tasman won that point of contact on their attack. And that's what allowed them to play fast. You saw them make an adjustment a little bit later on in the game. They were counter-rucking more. They were being more physical. You know, Houston, you know, their set piece was good. They had lots of opportunities early in that first half to score a couple of times. Tasman defense was really strong. And they're set, you know, they're going to have a strong set piece. They're going to have, um, you know, they've got a great kicker. Um, they'll be able to play some territory. They've got some great runners in the backs. I think how they manage, how physical they can be on defense is going to be important for them to slow the game down enough so they can set their defensive wall. Was that enough coachiness for you? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. You know, you always talk about transitions and, and, and the Mako were just so much better. At, yeah, I mean, that's the transition. That's so hard to coach, right? I mean, I mean, if there was, if there, if, if there was one, like, 
uh, area that I would invest, it would be in a transitions coach. And, and it's really weird because they don't, they barely exist right in, in, in rugby, like, like only, I think really progressive people see it that way. Often it, it would, it'll be the, uh, um, responsibility of the attack or defense coach. So the attack coach will be responsible for what happens when you win the ball in the turnover or receive the kick. And the defense coach will be responsible when you lose the ball in contact or when you kick. But I think that we're going to see more and more transition coaches being important. And that's because it's so hard to coach unless you've got a bunch of guys that can look up, see space, have the skills to utilize it. Right? And, that's, and, that, and that's what Tasman did. It was just beautiful to watch. Yeah, and we saw the two intercepts as well. And that just to me was a little bit of uh, disjointed play from Houston where Sam had an idea and was attacking. And then I just don't think everyone was on the same page. And that's usually where, you know, those breakdowns happen yeah, as well. Yeah, that's preseason, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see because I liked what you said about, you know, the options of the flat and then having layers out the back. But... I think to play flat and play aggressive at the line the way that Sam, and he does it better than a lot of tens, you know, forget major league rugby, you know, everywhere. He, he plays in the, the mouth of the line quite a lot, which is very brave because you know, you're going to get hit and you're going to get bumped by guys like, you know, Ricard Hatting and Brad Tucker when they play against the Seawolves and, right. you know, Aladdin Shermer, you know, he's going to be buzzing around as well. And those, those kind of guys are big guys. And you don't want to take those hits too often as a 10. But he needs everyone going with him. And yep. When that doesn't happen, that's when he gets isolated or a pass goes to ground. And then choosing your times to be aggressive at the line as well. So, so I think I, you get know, those I think, mismatches. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a really interesting. So I think we're really getting into some, sort of some coaching philosophy, right? So um, you, you know, um, in coaching, we talk a lot about pressure. And, and my view is you can't put the defense under pressure unless you put pressure on yourself, right? And so, like, what players like Sam Windsor do and Joe Peterson does it amazingly well, like these guys that seem to have time when, when they're standing in front of a defender or they have a little shimmy that just hesitates the defender to create space for someone else. Like, you need to build your attack around those guys. You need to be like, hey, we've got players like this. Because there aren't that many of them. And you've got, you know, you've got to say, so we have to teach everyone else to be able to maximize, this, maximize the special talent that we have. And we are going to absolutely know that there's going to be some interceptions, that we're going to, there's, there's going to be a cost. There's a risk that comes with it. But our reward's going to be so great because we're going to score so many points that that interception isn't going to count. Um, and, and, and it's a coaching philosophy, right? So it's really about how you want to play the game. Do you want to play it on the front foot? You want to maximize the um, the skills of your players, or do you want to, you know, play a more conservative game? And I've played that game, right? I'm not saying that it's sort of like any. I've played that game, you know, the conservative game, the deep ten, the kicking game, the territory game. I've played it, um, but but you know, with, with with some of these some of these tens that we have, it's just a like it's a waste of talent to put them back that deep. Yeah. Yep. Man, you should coach. You ever thought about it? <laughs> oh, it is so much easier to sit here watch a game and, crit and criticize like like I, I i do it i kind of have to scrub myself sometimes after i do these games because i know how hard it is to get there and and you know it's some of it is is changing players habits some of it is you know 
you know, I, you do not have the insight. There's no way that I know as much about the, the Houston team as the Houston players. So it's really easy for me to sit here and be in judgment. Um, but I'll do it anyway. Yeah, it's always been one of the great, great mysteries, right? Is you can have the greatest preparation, the greatest game plan, but on the morning of the game, a couple of key players wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're just sitting in the coach's box pulling your hair out going, what, what is happening? Well, I think, so I think so that, that's interesting because I think that there are some things that are in the game and it's not just the players that sit out. I think actually it's about there are a few things in the game that determine how you can play. And I thought the Houston-Tasman game was an interesting example of where for much of the game, Tasman dominated the point of contact on attack and defense. So on attack, it allowed them to play fast. And on defense, it made the Houston attack static. And so when, when you look and you say Houston maybe had you know, bigger players, a better pack, um, more dynamic runners, and you say, why were they not able to use that? one of the places you should always go is look at the point of contact and be like, who's winning that point of contact? Like if I'm like, if, if, you know, if I'm a major league rugby coach, that's like a philosophy. Number one thing that we do in my very first practice is we talk about how we're going to dominate the point of contact because you can't, you know, point of contact and winning the ball in your set piece are the two things you have to have if you want to win rugby games. And, you know, it's one of the things I think that like Seattle have always been good at that point of contact work. San Diego have always been good at, and that's why the last couple of years, those have been two of the better teams. I love it. Great analysis, Pete Steinberg. Some of the best I've ever heard. Hey, Aaron, <laughs> unmute yourself. Who are we doing next week? Just showing the great preparation I put into the show once again. Who are we doing next week? Well, we are doing what I said we were going to do last week, but we are going to talk to Old Glory. Oh, I love it. I love it. DC, great spot. Everyone should get out there for at least one home game this year to DC. Take the family, do the tourist thing. When it warms up a little, you won't regret it. It's, it's an, an underappreciated city in the United States is Washington, DC. Downtown DC, that area there. Love it. Can't wait to do a game out there with you, Pete. It's going to be so much fun. I'll show you around. Oh, great. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, okay, thanks. We've got a Nando's. Like There's a Nando's DC there. We can go hood. get some Nando's. This is my rugby hood. Like that's where, like that's where I played a lot of my rugby. I played rugby for the Potomac Rugby Union. Um, I know, I know my uh, my way around DC pretty well. So, so Pete's going to take you around, Dan. Well, last time I was in DC, I think I scored 32 points down there against Washington DC. So, you know. Not a bad trip, but we'll see. We'll see who shows who around. <laughs> all we're, right. We're all reliving our old times. This this should be Major League Rugby kickoff the past. Nostalgia show. We can do that. My we can, past glories. We'll do a nostalgia short show and we'll uh, we'll see our numbers plummet. It'll be great. Well, oh, I've got one more bit of news. Do you want to talk about Rooney? They've got some new owners. Yeah, this is this is I think this is I think a big big deal, right? So is it Bolton Enterprises? Equities. Bolton Equities, right? So this is a group that had ownership in the Auckland Blues before the uh, NZRFU bought it back. Um, deep pockets, New Zealand based. I think um, I think there's a family member that lives in New Jersey, um, and uh, you know, 
um, bought into bought into Rooney. And I think it's going to be seeing those sorts of investments are um, are just good for the game. Um, and I think that bring brings money into the game as well. Yeah, and it's a uh, very rugby friendly company uh, involved with the Auckland Blues down there. I'm not sure if you just mentioned that. I'm sorry if you did. I did. Yeah. I did. Yep. But you can you can not listen to me whenever you want to not listen to me now. Um, very good at that. Just kidding. You're the best. Well, that'll be f- that again. We'll, we'll dig deeper into that uh, as more news comes out. It was announced this week. Uh, the terms of that weren't released. So, but uh, it is an equal share. So 50% or, you know, unless there's another party involved, 40, 40, 20. I don't know what the actual arrangement is out there. But like you said, it's great to see uh, another investment into the league and great for New York as well because uh, you know it's a tough city to succeed in New York City but if you can make it there you can make it anywhere do you like that Frank Sinatra no little Frank Sinatra yeah I thought that was the end of the podcast well I should have I should have Costanza <laughs> gone out on top well you know so um, before we uh, end we just want to encourage everyone um, you know, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, uh, um, iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, wherever it is. Please subscribe, leave a review that helps other people find us. And how many weeks until the first game? Two, it'll be two weeks this Saturday. So almost three weeks away. Well, it's about time we start warming up our voices, Dan, and getting our binoculars out and and starting researching our players, we need to be in TV commentator preseason mode. Well, unless your name's Sam Windsor or Brad Tucker, you don't exist to me. So I'll just get it. Uh, I'll just wing it when I get there. That, that sounds about right. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I love you all. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. It's Old Glory DC's turn as we'll talk all things Old Glory. And I'm sure a man known as the Beast will probably get a run as well. Until then, folks, thanks for tuning in. For Pete Steinberg, Aaron Kasher, I'm Dan Power. This is the MLR Kickoff Podcast.